Xtox connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. This week on the show, we're discussing QR codes making a comeback in the food service industry and seven shifts and employee scheduling software revolutionizing restaurant management. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Life Science Podcast. I'm Sarah Hand, Editor-in-Chief at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aisha Rashid and Sydney Perlmutter. Thanks for coming today. Aisha, I think you wanted to start us off with a few topics, so take it away. Thanks, Sarah. So with flu season uh, approaching, or basically here now, uh, the talk of the COVID-19 vaccines is also being complemented with talks of the flu shot. So with flu season, of course, it's, it's important not to forget the importance of the flu shot. However, some might be getting ready to get a COVID-19 vaccine at the same time and wonder, well, you know, do I have to wait before getting another shot? Well, updated guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, uh, says that waiting isn't necessary and that the flu shot and COVID-19 shot can be given together at the same time. Now, this reflects a change from prior guidelines where the CDC recommended waiting 14 days in between different shots, and that includes the flu shot. Um, Now, the CDC says that the change in the guidance um, comes after the initial abundance of caution that was being exerted during a period when the COVID-19 vaccines were, of course, new, and it wasn't due to any known safety or immunogenicity concerns that the initial guidance was put out. The agency says that now substantial data has been collected regarding the safety of COVID-19 vaccines. And so they went ahead and were able to change the guidance to allow for the administration of different vaccines along with the COVID-19 vaccine at the same time. So the agency says that if multiple vaccines are given at a single visit, they have to be administered, of course, at different injection sites, but they can be given in the same region. For example, in adults and adolescents, if you're getting multiple vaccines, they can be given in the same muscle, but at different sites in the muscle. In addition to this, I came across uh, a couple of studies that are showing that the flu shot can even be protective against severe COVID-19 symptoms. Mm -hmm. And this includes a recent study by University of Miami researchers that was published in uh, PLOS One. And that study showed that receiving the flu shot led to reduced adverse outcomes due to COVID-19 infection. And this included things like a reduced risk of stroke, sepsis, deep vein thrombosis, as well as admission to the intensive care unit. The researchers retrospectively screened uh, records of over 73 million patients initially who tested positive for COVID-19. These records were from the U.S. uh, predominantly, but also spanned countries including the U.K., Italy, Germany, Israel, and Singapore. The researchers then narrowed down the records to two cohorts uh, of about 37,000 patients. 
Analyzing these records showed that people who didn't receive the flu vaccine were 20% more likely to be admitted to the ICU with COVID-19 compared to those that received the vaccine. In addition, the unvaccinated group was also up to 58% more likely to visit an emergency department due to COVID-19 and up to 58% more likely to have a stroke. There was no link found between being immunized against influenza and death due to COVID-19. And as I mentioned, there have been other studies that have shown similar associations between receiving the flu shot and better COVID-19 outcomes. Um, For example, another study last year found that the flu shot was protective against COVID-19 among healthcare workers. and they, sh- they saw that there was a reduced severity of symptoms in those that tested positive for the coronavirus. Now, these are just association studies. And so investigators have been hypothesizing that there could be a biological mechanism that could explain why the flu shot may offer protection against uh, COVID-19 uh, or rather severe symptoms of of COVID-19. And this could involve things like nonspecific activation of the immune system, uh, as well as mechanisms involving the ACE2 receptor. So that's the receptor that mediates entry of the SARS-CoV-2 virus into human cells. Of course, the influenza vaccine is not designed to protect against the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19. And um, it doesn't increase overall immunity either. So again, the biological mechanisms um, are not known at this point, and they're just hypothetical if uh, some of the researchers have been sort of talking about potential uh, mechanisms. Um, In addition, the studies and researchers actually say that the protection could be explained by personal attitudes and behaviors. Uh, For example, people that get their flu shot every year might be more conscious of their health and they might take better measures to protect their personal health. Uh, This could include things like regular hand washing, distancing, uh, and other measures that may lead to protection against influenza as well as COVID-19. And we did see that last year that Uh, we did have uh, a less severe or a better flu season uh, because of all of the COVID-19 measures that were in place. Also, people who receive the flu shot are generally more educated as well. Um, They're in higher income brackets uh, also. Um, So yes, as I mentioned, last year's flu season was indeed one of the mildest ones in recent history. Um, and this helped avoid what experts were calling the twindemic of influenza and COVID-19 that many had been fearing. So just as a comparison, in, an article in JAMA actually showed that of 1.3 million uh, specimens that were reported to the CDC and tested f- for influenza, um, Among those, 2,136 tested positive for influenza, and there were 748 influenza-related deaths. Now, this is compared to the 2019-2020 flu season, in which more than 38 million people got sick from influenza, and there were 22,000 deaths. Wow. Yeah, very striking. Um, However... It's important to note that not all cases of influenza are reported to the CDC, so there might be even Mm. more cases there. 
Um, and in an interview with CNN last week, uh, infectious disease expert Dr. Anthony Fauci advised people to get vaccinated against both influenza and COVID-19. And he said um, to, he recommended getting both shots. And if it means going in and getting them both at the same time, meaning getting the flu shot in one arm and the COVID shot in another, he said that's perfectly fine. And in, in fact, that might make it more convenient for many people. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. And have you all gotten your flu shots yet? <laughs> um, well, I definitely plan on getting my flu shot. I've had it every year as far back as I can remember and never had any, you know, side effects or anything and also haven't um, gotten sick with any sort of severe flu. So I feel like it's, you know, effective. Um, but it's not available yet in our area, but I definitely plan to get it when it is. I think that this is great that they've been able to update the, the guidance so that people can get it at the same time. And as Dr. Fauci said, you know, it certainly would be more convenient if you're there anyways, getting vaccinated against COVID, you might as well get the flu shot at the same time. Um, I'd be interested to hear, you know, both of your perspectives on, what do you think the uptake will be like for this flu vaccine season? Um, do you think more people are likely to get it out of concerns of uh, getting, you know, they're trying to avoid COVID, but also trying to get avoid getting sick um, with influenza? Um, or do you think more people will be reluctant to get it? I mean, what what are your thoughts? I don't know if there'll be too big of a shift in terms of more or less people getting it. I think the people who usually do probably still will. Mm. And those that don't, mm -hmm. because they probably think, oh, I never get the flu, so I'm not going to get the shot, may still think mm -hmm. the same way. Um, but that's just my that's just my thoughts on it. Maybe people also think, um, you know, COVID is... is the bigger one to fear so they would prefer to be mm -hmm. protected against COVID and and you mm -hmm. know not really care too much about the flu uh shot but Aisha what do you think about that you know what I'm just pulling up some data to see what flu vaccinations looked like last year and it seems that uptake was higher last year. So that might mm. have had, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic and that might have had an impact and might continue to have an impact on uptake of uh, vaccination against influenza just because people might be more more conscious of, of their health with everything that's going on with COVID. Um, I, from personal anecdotal experience, I actually don't get the flu shot, which is pretty bad. But this year I am considering getting it and definitely, mm, okay. you know, I'm going to talk to my parents about getting it too, who, who they should have been getting it. But, you know, mm. before it was kind of like, okay, it's there, but you know, I take pretty good care of myself and I should be okay. Mm -hmm. But now with COVID, it has it has me thinking otherwise, of course. And so I think, like how Sydney was saying, not too much of a shift. Um, but if there is a shift, actually, it would be the other way in terms of higher uptake of, uh, of uh, the flu shot. And we did see that last year, apparently. So hmm, that's interesting mm -hmm. to hear about that data and to hear about your feelings as well, Aisha, maybe shifting a little yeah. on the importance of the, the flu shot. And of course, you're not necessarily in a an age bracket who yeah. would be um, 
very vulnerable to getting severely ill or even mm-hmm. dying from influenza. I'm wondering if uh, some, you know, older adults that maybe didn't get the flu shot before didn't feel overly vulnerable, uh, maybe now feel more vulnerable in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, maybe that explains some of the higher uptake last year. Um, and like you say, maybe that's uh, something that could lead to a prediction for higher uptake of the, the flu vaccine this year as well. I I certainly don't expect um, any vaccine hesitant individuals or or anti-vaxxers who are completely against getting (laughs) vaccinated against COVID. I don't expect them to um, start going out and getting uh, vaccinated against the influenza, but I I can see how um, this whole pandemic has put front and center in people's minds um, the importance of these preventative measures in in preventing the spread of um, communicable diseases like this. So... Yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I also wonder whether the the new CDC guidelines may impact COVID-19 vaccine uptake, because hmm. in the beginning, I remember those were questions going around, um, you know, can I get other vaccinations with COVID-19? And initially, as the CDC, as I mentioned, said that there was a 14-week, 14-day, sorry, waiting period. And maybe that might have contributed to some hesitancy among people. It's like, oh, well, you know, what's in this shot? Why do I have to wait? Whereas Mm -hmm. some other vaccines, you can get them together. Mm -hmm. But now that the guidance has changed, um, that might lead to a bit more confidence in that, okay, well, this COVID-19 shot, it's just like any other vaccine. It's not um, out of the norm. And so I can get it with other vaccines. And hopefully, and maybe that might lead to less hesitancy, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if some people um, might also read this story and be concerned about side effects since the COVID vaccines have been associated associated with some more, um, like even the mild side effects are a little bit more than you would experience, I think, with a seasonal flu vaccine or another immunization. Um, I wonder if people might be a little concerned about combining the two and potentially um, experiencing, you know, more side effects, although it sounds like from the data, uh, they they didn't find that if, if they deem it safe enough to be given, you know, at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Yep. So moving on to another COVID related story, uh, Merck last week announced that its oral pill, Molnupiravir, which is an antiviral, cuts the risk of hospitalizations and deaths by by half in COVID nineteen patients. So Merck is developing this therapeutic along with Ridgeback Biotherapeutics, and it announced the positive interim results from a phase three trial evaluating molnupiravir. And this investigational oral antiviral viral medicine showed in the trial that it was able to reduce the risk of hospitalization and death in patients with mild to moderate COVID-19 by about 50%. And the patients were non-hospitalized. In fact, the results of the study were so strong that an independent panel of medical experts that was monitoring the trial recommended to stop it early. Encouraged by this positive data, Merck says that it will soon seek emergency use authorization from the FDA for the drug. Now, if approved, it would become the first oral antiviral to treat COVID-19. 
Gilead's antiviral remdesivir uh, is administered intravenously for the treatment of uh, hospitalized patients. It's, it's authorized for um, that specific cohort. A pill for COVID-19 treatment, uh, particularly for mild to moderate COVID-19, because as we see a lot of the treatments out there are for more severe disease, um, I think is welcome news as it could give patients a simple non-invasive treatment options that option that they may be more inclined to take. It would also be logistically easier to distribute and administer. Now, the interim analysis of the phase three trial data involved looking at data from 775 patients who were enrolled in the move out trial, which is a global phase three randomized placebo controlled double blind multi-site study of non-hospitalized adult patients um, with mild to moderate COVID-19 and at least one risk factor for poor disease outcome. And the efficacy of um, molnupiravir was compared to placebo and uh, assessed by the percentage of patients who were hospitalized and or died. So as I mentioned, the drug reduced the risk of hospitalization or death by about half at the interim analysis. So 7.3% of patients who received it were uh, either hospitalized or died through day 29 following randomization, compared with 14.1% of patients that received uh, placebo. The drug, importantly, also demonstrated consistent efficacy against uh, viral variants such as gamma, delta, and mu. The incidence of adverse events was comparable in the drug treatment group and placebo groups. Now, this trial was conducted globally, as I mentioned, across more than 170 sites in countries, including the U.S., Canada, South Africa, Japan, uh, Israel, Egypt, and a handful of countries in South America, as well as Europe. So molnupiravir is a ribonucleoside analog that inhibits the replication of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And in preclinical models uh, of SARS-CoV-2, the drug has been shown to have activity uh, with respect to prophylaxis, treatment, and prevention of transmission. The drug was invented at Drug Innovations at Emory, which is a non not-for-profit biotech company owned by Emory University and is being co-developed by Merck and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics. Apart from remdesivir, the only other authorized treatments for COVID-19 include Eli Lilly's monoclonal antibody combo, as well as the corticosteroid dexamethasone. So just wanted to get your thoughts on this uh, new drug and um, it was actually really astonishing to me in terms of how stellar the results were that the independent panel monitoring this actually was like, you can stop your trial now and because mm -hmm. the results are so great. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is great. And it sounds like this would be one of the first treatment options uh, that could be given at home, right? So these are non-hospitalized uh, non patients who are maybe at risk of worse outcomes, um, but maybe not, not so much so that they need to be hospitalized. I mean, I think that's great to be able to free up beds for those patients who really need it. And um, you, you mentioned as well rem 
Remdesivir. Uh, des- yeah. <laughs> Remdesivir uh, is administered via uh, IV. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's great to have an oral option as well. I think that's a, a huge deal. I also wanted to get your thoughts on treatment versus vaccination because I was kind of thinking about mm. this and I wanted to do kind of like a, a piece on it uh, as well. Do people seem to be more open to treatment rather than prevention in terms of a vaccine? And I find that psychology to be very interesting. And I want to delve more into that perhaps in an article, as I said. Um, You know, I remember when things like remdesivir, which is is an investigational drug and it wasn't developed for COVID-19, or, you know, those touted miracle cures like... um, I forget the name, the one that Trump was hydroxychloroquine, uh, hydroxychloroquine and all of mm-hmm. that, ivermectin, you mm-hmm. know, the horse dewormer. Why are people so open to trying these untested therapeutics and yet they're so hesitant to take a vaccine that has been tested? I find it very interesting. That's a, such a good question. I don't know. I don't know if I've thought of it like that, but I think you're right. Certain groups of people are much more open to taking some sort of drug that might help them, uh, might might act as a preventative to, to getting COVID-19, might protect against. Um, I wonder if there's sort of, as you say, the psychology around it, this idea of uh, getting injected with a needle, uh, first of all, I think there's something about that people are uncomfortable mm. with, whereas it's like easier to pop a pill and you don't think as much about it, maybe. Um, and I think there's, you know, those the misinformation and the misguided idea that uh, somehow this vaccine is doing something to change you fundamentally, yeah. change your DNA, mm-hmm. change your immune system, I think there's something about that that feels like something that people don't trust, like a lack of control there. Um, But that is such an interesting point to bring up, Aisha. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think part of it, too, is the uh, lack of um, understanding of how severe COVID can get. So I feel like anyone who, um, you know, is aware of the risks of the virus may want to pursue those preventative measures while those that don't um, are, you know, their only option kind of is to just take a a treatment if they do end up getting COVID. So um, yeah, I feel like that's like the main differentiator is like maybe the fear or just lack of understanding around like, you know, how bad COVID can get. Um, And if you don't, you don't know the risks or if you choose not to get the vaccine, then yeah, like I said, the, uh, the, the treatment is kind of your only option. And I also wonder um, how, you know, in, in fully vaccinated people, um, if if they do get COVID and they take the treatment, I wonder if there's if there's been any studies with, with that as well, if you know about. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, not to, I didn't come across anything that, you know, looks at um, people vaccinated and then receiving the treatment, but hmm. that's definitely very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so with some of those cases of breakthrough infection, breakthrough right? Infections, yeah, exactly. And most of them are mild to moderate, yeah. so mm. this could be given as a treatment in those cases. Right. Yeah, those are very interesting points, and you know, I was thinking about that too. Okay, well, vaccines are given, you know, as an injection, but then so is remdesivir, so is dexamethasone, 
but people hmm. are willing to get those. Um, and then your point around the these vaccines being genetic based. Um, however, I wonder if there was a more traditional vaccine, let's say a live attenuated, mm-hmm. you know, va- version, would people be more open to that? I don't know. But so these are all kind of very in- interesting kind of questions that I was thinking about. And just the sort of unique and exclusive hesitancy towards vaccines. Um, and of course, it did grow with uh, in the last decade or, or, or so with um all of those conspiracy uh, theories and anti-vax movements uh, around vaccines in general, I think. And also vaccines are preventative, right? So it's not like you can't see the disease, you don't have the disease. And it's kind of like, well, why am I, maybe people have some attitudes around um, injecting themselves and without being able to see an effect really, and, Mm -hmm. or maybe an effect that they're not, that might be unknown to them. Um, but with a treatment, I guess it's just so more more ubiquitous. You know, we're used to popping a pill for a headache or, or things mm-hmm. like that. So I think, yeah, vaccines are a very unique arena and um, interesting. Yeah, I think another complicating factor is that um, there's more than one type of person who might object to getting vaccinated yeah. or specifically getting vaccinated against COVID-19. And there's different people have different reasons. And from what I've seen um, in terms of like interviews with infectious disease experts, you know, I think a lot of them have said, look, there's this group of people who are completely against the idea of vaccination in general. And that's probably not where our efforts should Mm -hmm. be right now to try and change their mind because it's likely going to be very difficult. But the place where we could make some headway is with the the hesitant individuals who are maybe working on, you know, misinformation, or maybe they have valid concerns um, that they just don't feel are being addressed or they don't have the, the information there that might tip them over the edge into feeling okay about getting vaccinated. But I think the complicating factor is, is that all of these different groups have different reasons for maybe not wanting to get vaccinated. Um, And like you said, maybe it just feels more familiar to, especially in the case of this new drug you're talking about now, um, be able to pop a pill to to treat something as opposed to uh, getting getting a vaccine. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, once this drug, which it seems like is likely uh, to receive emergency use authorization is based Mm -hmm. on... um, the very stellar da- data just to see how this might uh, change things with COVID-19. And it's great to have another treatment option for sure. Mm-hmm, definitely. Okay, great. Well, that's the end of this episode of the Xbox Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you all next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Xbox Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find Xtalks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. 
The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.